Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. Well, good day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Calmly Considered here at Faith Seeking Understanding. I am Alan Bevere, your host. I am a pastor, retired professor, Bible moth, theologian in exile, and I am a peddler of hope, and I am the self-appointed Anselm of Canterbury Chair of Podcast Theology and Culture here at Faith Seeking Understanding University, a completely made-up institution, but a place where we invite all seekers to come and ponder profound things free of charge. And uh, I am with again in this month for this episode with Michael Cruz, who is the Grand Poobah Chair of Economics and Public Theology here at FSUU. He is also currently the happiest man in America as his Kansas City Chiefs will be playing in the AFC Championship. So, Michael, uh, Patrick Mahomes is 0-3 against the Bengals. Yes, he is. This is his big chance to redeem himself. Yeah. And he's going to have to do it leg. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm concerned about what happened with that injury. So. Oops. I've lost your, your audio there. Could, couldn't hear you on that. Yep. No, I, I can't hear you. How about now? There we go. Sorry okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. As, as once again, I reveal my technological <laughs> savviness here. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So, uh, boy, that should be a good game. It should be. I'm hoping so. I, I think it could be one of the better ones. I, I really like Burrow. Uh, I like yeah. what the Bengals have done. I actually like the Bills, too. I've commented. Uh, commenting to a Bills friend recently that I just love the Bills. I'm looking forward to the next few years of all of the games that are going to yeah. exist between the Chiefs. These these games are fun. So yeah. we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Well, anyway, good for you. And by the way, I just have to say this. The best news of the day in the sports world is pitchers and catchers less than a month. Absolutely. I got my guard shirt. Yeah. There we are. Me and That's I'm right. ready to go. I, uh, now that I'm retired, Carol and I are going to, at some point, it's not going to happen this year, but at some point we're going to go out to Arizona for some spring training. And uh, Where do the Guardians do theirs? Are uh, they in surprise? Somewhere in Arizona. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere the Royals in the are Phoenix. Surprise Arizona. Somewhere in the Phoenix yeah. area. I can't remember right. right now the name of the little place. Yeah. Okay. So, we anyway. talked about doing that too. We can yeah. make it a, a joint trip. So we should do that. We should do that. So they're <laughs> yeah. out that way too, right? The Royals. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh -huh. that. Yeah. We should pick a time when uh, to be out there when the Royals and the Guardians play. That would be great. There you go. Yeah. That's right. That could be fun. Yeah. So. So anyway, all right. Well, we got to get into our conversation, which actually uh, today is sports. Sport of gambling. <laughs> should Christians take the bet? And that's sort of a double meaning. Because while I want us to talk about gambling in general, we begin with a conversation about the rise of 
sports gambling. And, right. you know, Michael, you suggested this. And so I read what you passed along and then I read some other things. And I guess I didn't realize how big it's become. I mean, I know that I see uh, uh, advertisements for it online and in my social media feed. I don't gamble. In fact, I've never even bought a lottery ticket in my life. But yeah. uh, when I started to read, I thought, oh, my gosh, this has really become uh, all pervasive. So we probably should start with that conversation just to see, uh, just to kind of get a handle on that. So so can you give us a little bit of history on how uh, sports gambling, which, of course, used to be pretty illegal and you could get in major trouble right. for gambling on games? What has happened right. that, that that has changed? I don't know if I can give a, a complete summary. My my understanding in terms of where this has emerged was about 10 or 12 years ago with the internet and people wanting to participate in fantasy sports leagues. Uh, there were ways in which you could uh, compete against each other, put money on your fantasy sports teams, and that did not violate the gambling laws that existed. And I think there was a ruling in 2016 that I, I, can't, I can't tell exactly how the Supreme Court ruled, but basically it liberalized the ability to participate in gambling so that the federal government didn't have the, the um, authority to restrict uh, certain types of gambling. And so that really has begun to open up the windows for sports gambling and the use of internet apps FanDuel, DraftKings, I think, are the two biggest ones by far that are involved with that. Uh, I think MGM also, I see them advertising a lot now. I don't know what their market share is. But the, uh, they are continually opening up new avenues of gambling. Uh, we, I don't know how much part you want to go into this, but just things like you used to be able to bet on games, then it became over and under. And now they have apps on your phone where you can do in-game betting. Well, the next guy will he will he get a uh, extra base hit or not? You know, suddenly this pops up and you can bet on that using your phone uh, right inside the game. And so then they keep giving you more and more in-game options to be able to bet. They will do things like um, they have various incentives where if you bet two or three times and you've lost those bets, they'll say, "Hey, uh, the." we won't uh, charge you for the, that, those uh, bets, you know, you get that money back, but the way you get it back is that it has to stay, you have to gamble it on something else. Right. Uh, you, you don't, they don't give you the money actually back. So it's the advertising that they, they give is, is pretty shady. Yeah. The I, my understanding is, is that I think in 2021, I, I, these numbers are ballpark. I think it was about 45, 50 million, excuse me, 45, 50 billion dollars of wagers were placed in sports uh, betting. I believe it was $75 billion last year. I think I anticipate that that could be $150 billion this year uh, in sports gambling. So it is becoming a, a very big and growing uh, opportunity. States are legalizing it. I think there's 30, I think it's 30 states, something like that, that have some form of legalized uh, sports uh, gambling. And see what else I was going to add something else on top of that. Um, and part of the problem is too that these states do not have uh, regulators set up to be able to handle this stuff. So even though there are maybe laws or there may be self policing rules that the gambling industry has set up for themselves, there's really nobody 
watching these things yeah. with any vigilance to make sure that uh, these companies are behaving. Yeah. So, so yeah. So it's real. Um, uh, so I and I was reading a little bit about. Uh, the idea of gambling like during the game like for example i suppose you know you could put out there uh, is next week is patrick mahomes will he uh drive the, the on this drive drive him down for a touchdown right and then you can right. bet on that kind of stuff you know it's interesting what i thought of by the way was um a couple of the seats where i sit where when i go to the guardians game really good seats behind her third base but there is somebody behind me who obviously it's a season ticket package but every now and then there's a couple of three guys that sit there and they do this what they do they'll yeah. they'll i mean they got like cash they're passing around back there behind me so they'll say the one guy will say you know ten dollars that you know so and so strikes out you right know? yeah <laughs> and i'm just, right. of course yeah. my first thought is is okay all right i don't have that kind of money to lose um right but it just it's it's you know I mean I have to confess probably should say this right off the bat that gambling's never been a temptation of mine right um, no, I mean I I I I find the conventional ways of losing my money by having to fix the house and fix the car <laughs> sufficient right right I don't exactly. I, I don't need more yeah. ways to do it um, right but. Um, I and you you know you talked about the regulators. Well, as I recall, by the way, that Supreme Court's decision you mentioned that basically the argument was it's not the federal government's job to tell the it's up to the states to make their own decisions, which you know right. is a is a typical federalist position. Which right. I don't necessarily think is a bad one, but right. um, the law in anything always takes a while to catch up to the reality. Isn't that the case? Yes, it does. And in this particular case, you have the gambling industry. They, there's no, to my knowledge, there's no restriction on the amount of money that they can give to, to legislators and, that, and uh, to political causes in order to, to advance the agenda that they want to advance. Yeah. The state benefits often from these because of taxes that the gambling uh, brings in, as well as in many cases, uh, in, in some forms of gambling, uh, it actually helps fund part of their state budget. They get some of their money from the gambling enterprises. Yeah. And so you have legislators that have an incentive to have a very robust, active uh, gambling yeah. uh, uh, environment in their state. And so then the question becomes, so who's regulating this? Who's looking out for the interests of uh, people that could be harmed uh, by the, yeah. the gambling industry? So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it it uh, it is of concern um, to me. Uh, I have to confess. You know, there's two ways I always look at issues, Michael, as a Christian. The first is how do I look at it as a Christian, and and and, and that's a question we right. we want to try and answer as far as how do I bring my Christian convictions to to any issue. Uh, the second question is more of a larger question of how do, does this how does this help or hurt the common good? Because right. I mean, not, you know, I'm a Christian, so I can't put my Christian convictions on hold for the sake of the larger population. You know, people who say Christians need to leave their convictions out of the voting booth. Well, we can't do that. I can't. I can't leave my convictions uh, as a Christian outside the voting booth any more than an atheist can leave his or her right. convictions that God doesn't exist outside the voting booth. So that's just a ridiculous 
a ridiculous expectation. Yeah. However, having said that, I recognize as as one who has an interest in the common good that I live in a world, you and I live in a society where not everybody's a Christian. So how do we right. navigate through that, right, uh, in the conversation? Right. So those are the two prongs that I think about this. Um, you know, w- w- how do I think the Christian Christians should look at this in the church? And then what about the common good? So uh, let's kind of have at that with the general thing of gambling. Gambling's been around, as we know, probably since the, the, the dawn of time. And um, uh, every time and, I think of... I could, go ahead, go just, ahead, please. If I could just jump in there for a second, too. I think one of the things in terms of American history that, that is important to remember is that in the colonial days, we did not have... Uh, there was no colonial banking system. There was nobody... Uh, from whom you could borrow money in order to build a building or start an enterprise. Lotteries were very typical. That's how Harvard, Yale, many of the, the early Christian institutions were developed was through lotteries. Uh, the, the financing for the Jamestown uh, adventure to, to go to Jamestown and found that colony was done by a lottery actually in England, uh, raising money. And so you had lotteries that were done, particularly after the 1600s. The Puritans tend to be very opposed to gambling. But by the 1700s, when you're needing to raise money, and that continued on into the um, early 1800s, and uh, it was big, it was then that there was a move to try to restrict gambling. I won't give you. I'm going to go into all the details of the history of this. But by 1840, gambling was largely outlawed, and then a second wave began after the civil, uh, civil war, particularly in the South, but many other regions that had been devastated, where you had no financial institutions. Again, lotteries, gambling operations, that type of thing, in order to raise money to be able to uh, rebuild their societies. And then that progressed. You, you have saloons, you have, uh, you know, it just expanded everywhere. And people began to see gambling, alcohol, brothels, that type of thing were the, uh, the bane of society. And so the prohibitionist movement, you know, came into existence and basically restricted all those. And so by, you know, a little after 1900, you basically had outlawed all those things as well. And then once again, a third wave begins after the depression where you have, um, I can't remember which state it was that began allowing certain types of gambling. I think it's New Hampshire. Uh, well, in 1950s, they began paramutual betting where you can bet on horses and uh, dogs. And then in 1964, I think New Hampshire begins the state lottery. And by the time you get to the 1970s into the 1980s, you're starting to have uh, casinos and, and, places like Atlantic City and all these other places began to develop around the country. And this sports gambling uh, development is just now sort of that trajectory on steroids uh, because of the internet and and what's happening there. The likelihood it seems to me is that those, the the difficulties that developed because gambling was so available and so pervasive that the problems that caused are lost to us in this generation because we weren't alive to see what happened previous times. My guess is this is going to have to go awry again in order to get a swing back that, that pulls it back to something that's more reasonable. So Yeah, that's, those are good points. Thank you for that history. I, I, uh, it, to me, theologically, I think what a profile in human nature that we can't get people to give uh, 50 bucks to build a library, but we'll get them to give 100 bucks if we promise them $10,000 as possibility of winning, right? I mean, you, you really, I mean, really what gambling does, let me just say it this way. Uh, I think gambling appeals to our, 
baser human nature, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, yeah, you know, yeah I, I mean, um, people won't vote for a tax levy to fund a school, but they'll play the lotto, you know, which helps to right. fund the school if they have a chance of winning $200 million. It is it's kind of an interesting right. profile in, uh, in uh, sin, yeah. isn't it? So yes, let's talk is, yeah. about let's talk about this for a minute, Michael. So before we before we, uh, I kind of have a, a hunch we're a, probably on fairly on the same page on gambling. But let's 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 say okay. you know what is there are there any benefits that gambling coming to a community? You know, uh, you know, I, I twenty years ago I thought Ohio would never approve casino gambling. And but now we do. Yeah. We have it in Columbus. We have right. it in Cleveland. We and the argument was the argument was by uh, officials. Well, you know, all this money is going to West Virginia. Right. And we got to right. keep the money in Ohio. So let's have it. So we have it now. So is there any benefit to this kind of uh, to, to this kind of enterprise? Well, I think economically, I think you can make the case that there are benefits that do come from gambling. I mean, I think they they gambling industry advertises those it creates jobs so you you have a new a business that has new jobs it can raise money for schools or for the government coffers i mean it, it can make contributions along those lines so there there are benefits but the question is what are the what on the other side of the ledger what are the costs yeah. of of having those and i i remember studies years ago i haven't seen anything recently but that said that for every dollar of, of um, what I want to say, of advantages that, that gambling brings, it brings $3 of disadvantages in terms of uh, social problems that it creates, the debt that it creates, the addictions, the, and then the resulting problems that come from addictions and debt, that type of thing. So yes, there are benefits to it. I don't think anybody can deny that, but what, what is it relative to the cost that, that we know happens when gambling becomes pervasive, I think that's the challenge. Yeah, I, so, and, I, and I'll but, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to mention, yeah, the video that we were watching that I that I that I sent to you, uh, I thought was very interesting. They showed one chart on Australia, which is far ahead of the United States in terms of its uh, uh, gambling uh, legalization. They showed one community uh, on the graph. I think it was in Melbourne area, where it was a fairly wealthy. A community, and they're talking about the average gambling losses. I think it was, I think it was gambling losses uh, for that community was one hundred eighty dollars per person in in that community, and then it shifted over to another community just a short distance away that was a low income community, and the average losses per person were one thousand five hundred fifty eight dollars, and so the issue is is that people who have money often gamble as an aside. It's something kind of fun and novel to do occasionally. It's uh, a source of enjoyment. But for many people who are poor and don't have hopes of getting an income, this becomes a desperate attempt at trying to get rich. And the poor and more desperate they are, the more difficult that situation is. And then it's just siphoning even more money away from their coffers that could actually help them improve their lives. Yeah. So it ends up becoming this very regressive tax um, on on people and society. Yeah. Well, for a lot of for a lot of uh, people in that boat, it becomes uh, sort of like your chance at your re a nice retirement fund. And uh, right. Yeah. So so I mean, we could now, Michael, we could take a libertarian approach to this, and we could say, well, look, 
this is not our fault. You know, if someone it's, you know, it's the same thing with alcohol, right. Um, and say, look, if someone, uh, there are plenty of people who drink and drink responsibly and, you know, and there are other people, it's not my fault if so-and-so can't handle his or her liquor. Uh, can't we say the same thing about gambling? Look, I go to the casino once a year and I, you know, uh, lose a hundred, 200 bucks that I can afford. It's not my fault if somebody go, takes themselves into, take themselves into massive debt because they sure. can't control it. We could take a libertarian approach to this. What do you think? Well, I, and I think that that's, there's an element to that. I, yeah. I don't think that prohibition, I, I think we saw that in the United States, yeah. that attempting to totally prohibit something leads to its own set of social ills. And that's what we saw with prohibition in the 1920s and 30s. So I don't think outright prohibition, but I think putting guardrails around behavior that is potentially destructive, particularly when you think of things like alcohol, gambling, prostitution, those types of things, those are things which you could legitimately say that people can make an informed choice to be involved in those things that don't necessarily harm other people. But when you look at it on a mass scale and what happens, there are too many human frailties involved to simply just leave it as a wide open, unregulated uh, activity. And I, I think it was interesting in the uh, talking about the Australia experience versus the United States, that in Australia, well, so in the United States, most casinos tend to be located outside of major cities. You have to travel a distance to, yeah. to get to a casino and, and gamble there. So it becomes an event that you have to go to and then you leave there and you're away from it. In Australia, those casinos are right in the heart of the city. And in many of the cities, it's sort of the, the major attraction that, that's put there at the city. So it's very easy to get to, to, to have access uh, to the gambling. And that's the, I think the challenge that we're gonna see with sports betting is that it isn't so incredibly accessible. One of the ways that, that cultures have used to limit um, gambling addiction and the, gam and the problems that exist from gambling is by restricting its accessibility, making it not illegal, but how accessible it is. Yeah. And um, I don't know how we're going to do that with sports gambling. It's a whole new world. But I think that yeah. that's so. So I would say, I think even libertarians, except for the truly hardcore ones that are, you know, thoroughly ideological, I think even libertarians would agree that there are sometimes cases where regulation is ne necessary in order to create a more, um, you know, better functioning society. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm with you on this. I mean, we know what prohibition, uh, prohibition didn't do what it was supposed to do. So why would we think uh, outlawing gambling would, would, uh, you know, fix it because it wouldn't, but, the, but there is, does need to be guardrails and, and uh, restrictions put up. And I'm hoping that at some point that will happen. So let's, let's go back right. real quick, because you had talked about uh, that our generation really hasn't felt uh, the negatives of what gambling has done because it's been outlawed. What are the things, what are the negatives? Uh, you know, so we can say, okay, casinos, gambling, lotteries can, can stimulate the economy. By the way, you and I both know that uh, if gambling on the side of those who own casinos and other, other gambling enterprises, if it wasn't lucrative, they wouldn't do it. So, you know, there's a part of me that wants to oh, say- there's part of me that wants to say, you know, uh, 
why are you going to do something you know you're going to lose the money but that's just me i don't i don't quite understand it um what are the negative things that have that we have seen in history that have resulted from gambling in which there are no as you said guardrails right i think there are at least three different ways gambling ends up having a negative impact on society and culture the first one it was the one i was just talking about a second ago is that it ends up becoming a, a regressive tax People that have money tend not to gamble in great amounts, and so they don't end up having debt issues. It's people that are poor that often end up being the greatest victims of gambling because of their their circumstances. It's false hope is what it is. It's it's uh, an organized effort to distribute false hope to people, profit off of it. That that I think is the on the regressive side of it. The second one is addiction that I think it's a small percentage, maybe 2% or so of the population has a propensity towards addiction to um, gambling at uh, a serious level and probably more at a less serious level, but still um, it's taking money away from other activities and things that would be more predictive and more um, beneficial to the individual and to society than gambling would. And then I think the third thing is probably corruption. Uh, corruption often ends up becoming a part of this. The, the politicians and the people who are involved in the gambling interest so often end up in, uh, in partnership with each other. And that corruption then ends up corrupting other aspects of society, law and order and, and morals and that type of thing. And so I think those are the things that we've typically seen in the past. And so, for instance, one of the things I think would be a good idea is that I think uh, gambling industry should be prohibited from being able to make uh, financial contributions to campaigns and to cam candidates. Um, they shouldn't be able to give money uh, to those those entities. I think that that's that's one place to help deal with the the corruption. And uh, if we're going to have it legal, we need to have robust systems uh, at the front end, helping particularly teenagers and people that are are going to be most susceptible to this because they haven't had experience. The the um, the, the downside of gambling, just like we have on smoking warnings, <laughs> you know, the, you, you buy a pack of cigarettes and it says this, this, these cigarettes will kill you. Um, uh, same thing with some of the gambling stuff. I, I think there needs to be warnings there at the front end and at the back end, there needs to be a robust system for helping people that have become addicted to gambling and, you know, systems yeah. that are set up to deal with that. So anyway, I think that those are the three downsides. It's aggressive, it's addictive, and it uh, often leads to corruption. And yeah. so you have to have guardrails that yeah. help address those. Well, you know, the whole money in politics, Michael, has just been uh, a recipe for disaster in the last decade, right? I mean, yeah. I, uh, um, I don't, you know, I, I know that there's been a lot of criticism of the Supreme Court uh, overturning or, or rejecting uh, McCain-Feingold and, and all of that. I, I, and I'm not enough of a constitutional expert to know whether, you know, uh, whether that was a good ruling or not. But what I do know is, is that it just seems to me in the last decade, uh, money has just, just uh, wreaked havoc in our, in our campaign system, right? Right, and, yeah. And, I mean, and that's and that's connected to this whole thing with gambling. Yeah. So, right. right. So we got more than one issue at stake here in dealing with this. Yeah. Well, I, and I'm I'm curious from your standpoint, 
um, thinking of this this theologically, assume that we didn't have these specific issues, regardless of whether it's aggressive, addictive, or can lead to corruption, from just sort of a spiritual formation standpoint in terms of our, our personal Christian walk, how do you see gambling uh, and its impact on who I am as a Christian and how that's likely to form me in ways yeah. that are not helpful? Well, I mean, you know, I'm... Uh, uh, I'm pretty strict on this as a Christian. I think it's a stewardship issue. You know, I think I think one of the key, well, for example, I just don't think Christians should gamble. I just don't think we should. Right. Now, I'm, I also don't want to be a legalist. If a, if a Christian buys a lottery ticket, I'm not going to berate them. I mean, there are worse things they could <laughs> do. But I right. think it's a stewardship issue. You know, we believe the Bible, I mean, I think it's very clear that everything that we have comes from God. Now, you know, we can talk about whether certain things we have are through exploitation and maybe not then directly given by God, the complication of what it means to be blessed. But the reality is all that we enjoy, all that we have is given to us from God. And so, you know, in our system, what the way we usually look at this is for a lot of Christians look at it this way, that if I give my 10% to the church, and most Christians don't tithe, but if I give my 10% to the church, then I can do with whatever I want with the other 90%. That's really not biblical. You know, um, I, may give, yeah. I, may, I may tithe to the church, and I do that. We, we do tithe. That doesn't mean I can do with whatever I want with the 90%. That means that I'm still a steward of that, that I am to, to spend that wisely, um, and that right. I am to think about how I use my money. And so from my perspective, I have a hard time justifying the willingness to lose money by or the, or the willingness to lose money in order to gain money. Now, uh, so that really is so I, I'm having a real hard time from a Christian perspective, uh, giving the thumbs up to casinos uh, and and lotteries. Um, right. But I mean, I think the, one of the one of the comments that I have gotten at times in response is, well, you know, people play the stock market. You know, we invest. Yeah. Uh, to which I say as well, that can be risky too. That that can be, you know, if you put your uh, if you put your money in junk bonds, you know. Um, right. But I I see that I, I you know probably get your thought on this. I see that as less of a issue of gambling and more of kind of a you know, that, you know, I give the bank my money and they, they invest my money and in response, they guarantee me whatever, or, you know, I invest right. in a company that is not necessarily completely without risk, but, but right. there, there's not, there's not this level of, I don't know what I want to say, chance. There's not this, I mean, there's, it's almost, it's, it's, if in doing it, you're trying, you're hoping to produce a good out of that. So I tend to go. see that differently. Uh, although I would say again, you know, um, a, a Christian probably ought to think twice about putting their money into some get rich. I don't, I don't know if Bitcoin applies here or not. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. so 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 right. I, I I I just struggle. I just struggle for giving a giving a Christian. I just struggle with giving any kind of Christian justification for gambling. It's hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, one of the points that you're making there, I think is that if I, if I look at an activity 
and you could look at gambling and say me participating in some gambling transaction that doesn't harm anyone you know no one's harmed by doing that yeah but is that the only criteria that we use for what we're doing as christians does it do anything positive does it help anything does it does it create anything good does it help anyone and i think when you're talking about investing um, we, uh, I, on rare occasions have bought stock in an individual company and held that, you know, that stock to see what happens. I always invest broadly across the market, um, for, to get the market returns, because what we've seen for multiple centuries now is that over time, the markets, the valuation tends to go up. And if you are invested in that broadly, your investments will go up, maybe not as much as you want, who knows, but it will, it tends not to go up gambling you are guaranteed almost to a fault that you will lose there there is no positive thing and there's only the people who are running the game are the only ones who win so it's not um you're not really doing anything productive or helpful by gambling you you may not be harming anyone but you're also not doing anything helpful either uh, yeah, some people can make, well, it's, it can be a form of enjoyment, and I get that. I've, I've been involved, I think, in past years where um, we've done uh, March Madness and get a pool of people together and you say, okay, everybody put in a buck and, you know, mm-hmm. whoever, whoever gets the best uh, final four or whatever, you know, ends up getting the pot. And I've, I think I've done that once or twice over the course of my life. Um, I, like you, gambling just doesn't hold an interest to in me. I, I it yeah. doesn't... Uh, doesn't do it for me so but there are and i think the the informal activities and doing things like that but when you're talking about supporting an entire industry that is largely unregulated and i I, and one piece i didn't bring up this too i just want to bring this in i talked about the politicians and the gambling companies but let's also talk about the sports entities the nhl the nba mlb nfl they benefit by all of this as well too they have a vested interest in making this work because if people are gambling on the players and on the outcomes of games and so on that means they're going to spend more eyes more their put more eyes and spend more of their time watching the games that these various sports entities put out yeah and so they they are going to benefit as well from viewership of people paying attention to uh, their sports as well so it's actually sort of a three-way mutually reinforcing uh opportunity for corruption but yeah that was that's i kind of went on the side there but yeah that anyway i'll just leave it there well who was the who was just recently the coach who came out who had to say that he got threatened because people who had bet a lot of money on a game or something that he had lost they had lost that he got actually messages yeah you know then you start getting into that well, yeah, you start getting yeah. into people who put way too much money on a game and they lose it and then they blame the player or they blame the coach. Uh, now, I rec- I recognize that those are, are the extremes and right. probably the minority, but they're there. And, right. you know, so how do you how does the law catch up to say, you know, we're we're not going to tolerate any kind of threats like that. And if you make them, you are liable to prosecution. That's where right. the law has to really. Uh, catch up i the other issue is you know remember the good old days when you know like pete rose if you gambled on the game as a player you know yeah. the good old days i mean you know and so again what other recipe now do we have for corruption with players getting involved in this it's become big i mean i 
I, yeah. um, I, I think it's, I think it should be of great concern. Well, particularly when you're talking about all it takes is having an app on your phone and yeah. doing it. Who's, who's monitoring your app? Are they wiretapping your app to make sure you're not betting on games? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but it's that acceptable, that easy. Yeah, well, in, I, preparation I think there's all for sorts our, of in preparation for our conversation today, I got into some of these, you know, on my newsfeed I'd have for FanDuel or whatever. I'd click into it just right. to kind of get the lay of the land on everything. And all of a sudden I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting advertisements all over the place for this, you know, which is a waste yeah, of time. Right. They're wasting their time for me, but, but it was just right. interesting that, that, you know, well, you know, I've, I've said for a long time, Michael, that people get com are, who are concerned, still concerned about the right to privacy. If you're on social media and have a smartphone, forget it. You know, <laughs> you lost that a long right. time yeah. ago, you know, but that doesn't mean right. there, aren't, there shouldn't be some safeguards and precautions, right? Right, right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's the answer. I, I'm not, a, I'm not, in, this personally, I'm not in favor, although I will almost never, I can't imagine myself ever using any of these gambling opportunities. I'm not in favor of making them absolutely illegal. I, I don't think prohibition for these things is, is the answer. But I do think there has to be tight regulation and safeguards put in place that help keep this stuff in check. And that does not exist at this yeah. point. Yeah, so I, I, like your, I, like, I like your image of the guardrails. And I think, you know, in a free society where, you know, you've got different people with different convictions and different views, I think we do need to be very careful about uh, the kinds of regulations that shut down as opposed to putting up the guardrails to say, you right. know, we allow freedom, we understand freedom. And I understand as a person who believes in a, a free society and who wants to be free, I do need to understand that that's a trade-off that some people might use that freedom in ways I wouldn't do that, right? I'm right. not going to take 10 bucks and gamble it, but I, I accept the fact that my neighbor might, and that's okay. But right. what we need to do is to say we recognize that human nature being what it is, uh, that uh, we can get off on the wrong path pretty quickly if we're not careful. So as a society, we're not going to regulate, we're not going to enforce certain behaviors or, or prohibit certain behaviors, but we're going to put right. some parameters on it because, by the way, because we care about you, right? We, we care about right. you. You right. can't drive drunk. You can get drunk, right? You can sit in your home and, right. and drink to your heart's content. But we're saying you, we can't, you can't drive drunk because, first of all, we do care for you. And we don't want you to get right. hurt, but we care for other people. And we don't want them to get hurt either. Exactly. It's the same way here, okay? If right. you want to gamble, fair enough. Sure. We're not, but we're going to put up some, some railings here because for your sake and for the right. sake of people around you, you know, one exactly. of the things, one of the things, Michael, John Wesley in England, um, one of the things that he saw in London was um, the, the, the prevalence of hard liquor and the, the husbands who were the breadwinners going out to the tavern and basically drinking away their paychecks. And, right. uh, you know, and, and for Wesley, and Wesley was not a, uh, was not a teetotaler. He, 
He did not want his preachers mm-hmm. drinking hard liquor, but but he even in his journal somewhere talks about drinking a draft or two of beer. Uh, right. Because he had a cold. <laughs> so I think he needed to sleep or something. Right. But but he uh, he understood that certain kinds of behavior radi- can radiate out and can really right. affect people. So he saw the damage that alcohol abuse by in that day, of course, the 18th century, the husbands and the breadwinners had on the families. So he endeavored to say to his Methodist people, all right, I don't want you drinking hard liquor because look at the situation. But he also uh, moved to to be in ministry to those families. I mean, I see the same thing here. Right. Uh, Right. there, There are behaviors that radiate out that affect other people. Right. And, and it, I was actually reflecting on this uh, a day or two ago. I was thinking in, in relation to this topic, but it applies to a lot of things, I think. You have society at a point where gambling is, is rampant. Uh, society is corrupt. There's all sorts of social evils around. And so you have a movement that rises up that tries to curtail that, to bring that back down. Um, and so you have many times it's Christian uh, activists who have been at the leader of, of some of those movements to do that. And so there's a very clear vision as to what they're trying to accomplish and why they are um, ab- abstaining from those those activities. And so then they raise their children with those values as well. And their children hear the stories that their parents tell them about the evils that existed and why they're doing it. So the second generation, but it's now becoming secondhand to that generation. Then a third generation comes along who grows up with the prohibitions against this, but has no not real knowledge of what what the impetus was for the prohibitions in the first place. But this is just the way we've always done it. And this is what Christians do. Uh, this is how we behave. And then a fourth generation comes along and says, wait a minute, why are we doing, you know, why are we doing what we're, <laughs> all this stuff again? Well, I don't get why, you know, we can't gamble or we can't do this, that, and the other thing. And so then there becomes this movement away from that restricted thing for which they see no real basis for it that then starts the the snowball rolling in another direction where the difficulties begin to develop again, which gives impetus to a new activist generation that seeks to restrain it. It just feels like with these sort of vice issues, um, there seems to be a, a cyclical approach to that through at least looking through American history as I look at that. So I don't know if I'm over uh, sociology, <laughs> using my sociology too much there, but uh, I, uh, it, it does seem to me that there is a, an ebb and a flow to our awareness of the challenges of some of these issues. You are, I mean, I agree with that completely. Um, and uh, I mean, human beings, we are forgetful. We, and forgetful, yeah. I mean, as far as long-term memory, meaning we don't pass these things along. I mean, if you read... If you go and you you read the Old Testament, if you decide you're going to read, you know, like three chapters a day to get through the Old Testament, so you get the overview, you don't really study it. But if you start and you read the overview, I mean, it is second verse, same as the first. I mean, the yeah, God it people, is over. I mean, it is it is completely repetitive. Human behavior is so predictable. Um and uh, you see this in the story of the judges, right? Uh, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. The people are oppressed. They cry out to God. God raises up a judge. The people, the land has rest. 
And then several years later, oh, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes again. I mean, this is just predictable. Yeah. We And we are still, I mean, boy, we could have this conversation over all kinds of issues where we continue right. centuries later to still make the same mistake. And I'm not just talking unbelievers here. We like to point the finger. I'm talking Christians. Right. No, we, Christians, yes, right. We continue to forget and make the same mistakes. And, right. uh, no, you know, people say history repeats itself. I, I don't think it repeats itself. Was it Mark Twain who said history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes? Is that, was that Mark Twain right. who said that? I think, right. to him. I, I think that's right. I think that's right. History yeah. doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Um, and so, you know, right. uh, Einstein's definition of insanity. So anyway, <laughs> right, right. So yeah, uh, yeah. what else do we want to say about this, Michael? I mean, I mean, for me, again, I just want to point out as a Christian that for me, this is a stewardship issue. I think in a society right. like ours, you know, in a society like America, we're prosperous um, you know, moat a lot of us, not all of us, obviously, but but you know, we don't think about where our next meal's coming from. Uh, right. you know, when you have, well, how do I say this? When you have money to burn, <laughs> you yeah. burn it. And right, yeah, and, and it, it it really is a stewardship issue and i think of the my friends that i have been in ministry with in cuba and zimbabwe and other places where they would i mean they actually would okay to have the kind of money to just blow it like that but they don't and so for me right. too, as a christian who has a should have a global perspective i also need to think right. about how my life's choices as a christian how that also looks in other places right yeah, and I, I'll go back to a statement that you were talking about earlier. I think it was uh, Tony Campolo who always used to say, you give 10% of your money to God as a tithe. He says, that's great. Now, what are you going to do with the other 90% of God's money? Exactly right. Um, and I, I think that that's that in a it's great stewardship in a nutshell. That doesn't mean everything that you spend with the 90% can't be stuff that's somewhat frivolous or, or just for enjoyment and for recreation. That's part of being human being. But being wise and judicious about how we spend that 90%, I think is really what it comes down to. Right. And if, if for every dollar I'm spending on gambling, I'm creating $3 of social ills. Is that the best use of, of, uh, using God's money? Exactly. And right. That's no, I think, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I want to be careful here. We don't get, we don't get the impression that, you know, you, you can't buy a candy bar for a buck. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. I'm yeah. not suggesting that at all. Uh, sometimes mental right. health requires chocolate, but uh, <laughs> um, I we we just need to think about that other that other that that after I have given what I should give to God uh, doesn't mean that the rest of the stuff um, is you know uh, you know fair game for for anything right. that I want to spend it on. I do need to think about exactly the implications of what it means to be a steward. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Wow. Well, Michael, anything else we want to say on this? I think that's it. I think this is going to be an interesting topic to watch in the coming years. Yeah. I I I I'm afraid it's going to get much more ugly and much worse before it gets better. But yeah. I think it's something for well, Christians. Well we spirit. human beings tend to do that. We wait until things we wait until 
you know, it's just like the issue with uh, uh, Social Security and Medicare. We all know that these are on uh, unsustainable trajectories. But until the generation that really gets hurt by it has to deal with it, nothing will change. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And and uh, the, the people who will suffer the most will be the ones who will have to fix it because right, uh, right now we're not going to do it and politicians aren't going to do it. The voters aren't going to let it happen. And uh, and I'm not suggesting how you fix that. I'm just saying that we know it. We know that it's not sustainable. And at some point, something's going to have to happen. But we tend to wait, you know, um, yeah. Um, until until the last possible minute that's human nature so anyway i don't know what to do sure. about that uh right anyway all right well michael thank you for your insight as always and uh thank you friends we are glad that you joined us today this is space seeking understanding i'm alan bevere and uh reminding you that the patron saint of faith seeking understanding is anselm of canterbury the archbishop of canterbury who said I do not understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. Friends, keep seeking. Have a good day.